So, fair warning, I only have enough disk space remaining for 93 hours of audio. <laughs> we better cut this short, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If this, if this is going to take more than four or five days, then I'm out of luck. <laughs> uh, Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Hey. <laughs> Today we will be taking a look at the 1995 crime drama, Heat, directed by Michael Mann and starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Val Kilmer, and asking the question, Does it movie? Does it movie is a segment in which we break down a movie into topics and decide if it's a good movie or not. Matt, this is our very first episode. That it is, John, and I am excited to be here. We've been waiting to do this for a while now, I know. We've finally been able to sit down, watch this movie, think about it, talk about it a little bit, and now it's time to share our opinions with the world. Pretty (laughs) (laughs) nerve-wracking. A little bit for the first one, for sure. Indeed. So, I pretty much broke down what we're going to do. The, before we get to the meat and potatoes of the episode, we just want to do a basic review of the movie. Nothing too fancy. Just give our general opinions on the movie. And probably before I start, it would be a good idea to do the plot synopsis from IMDb. It's a really quick sentence. The plot of Heat is as follows. A group of professional bank robbers start to feel the heat... Wink, wink, from police when they know unknowingly leave a clue at their latest heist. That is probably the worst plot synopsis I have ever seen for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a feeling that a lot of these plot synopsis synopses uh, are going to be this way. <laughs> Man, like it's got a, the terrible pun on the name in it, right? Uh, uh, professional bank robbers, like. That's kind of a tricky wording there, right? They're very good bank robbers, but, I mean, professionals makes it sound like they're hired to do their job, which they're not. Yeah, hired uh, help. And then they unknowingly leave a clue? Like, I'm not even sure if I agree with that, right? <laughs> yeah, I agree. So why don't we get into it and figure out what's going on? So Let's do it. from the top... Why don't we talk about our relationship with this movie? Because I know we both have different... Uh, we came at it at different angles, basically. Sure, yeah. So, uh, the first time I had heard about this movie would have been in the early 2000s. Um, I was very much an avid movie watcher in 1995 when this came out. Um, however, it flew a little bit over my head. I would have been, uh, I guess, about 15. So, uh, not really up for... Uh, this kind of movie, although, you know, maybe I saw things like it anyway, if you know what I'm saying. It was the 90s. Yeah. Um, but anyway, in the late 2000s, a good friend of mine told me that uh, he wanted to watch this with me. And, and I asked him why, and he said that it had the coolest shootout scene he had ever seen in a movie in it. And that because of that, he wanted to watch it with me. And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. Let's watch it. Uh, so I went into it expecting an action movie back, you know, 2001. And, uh, to be honest, I don't remember much about what I thought about it then, but, um, it probably bored me because this is not an action movie. Uh, Right. Now that said, it has some of the greatest action scenes I've ever seen in a movie in it, but, uh, absolutely not. Is this an action movie? That's true. Yeah. So very different from my experience, which is I have no relationship with this movie. I, it has been a movie I've wanted to see for a long time. Obviously, it's well regarded uh, by people in the film circles and just popular culture and culture in general. Um, it was on my list of shame 
I call I have a list called the list of shame, which are movies that I should have seen by now, but I haven't. Um, so this was my first viewing of this movie, um, and it was quite the movie. Um, why don't we uh, go ahead and just jump in and talk about what we generally thought about the movie? All right, sure. Do you want me to start this off, or do you want to kick us go, get us going? Oh, I'll go first. All right. Um, I thought this was a very well-made movie. Uh, production values, acting, plot, just the attention to detail, everything was top-notch. Um, and there were moments in the movie that I was excited, I was tense, I cared for the characters, um... Most of the time, uh, but I'm I'm still debating to to this day, and it's been probably a week since we watched it. I'm still trying to decide if I had fun or if I was entertained by the movie. Um, it's not a it's not a happy movie, so from that regard, no, I didn't. Um, but I guess if I had to make a decision now, I would say. I was more interested in the I was interested in the characters and the story and there were a few really good action scenes but I it's not a movie I would watch again I don't think. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much my review. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh Michael Mann I think in an interview said that he felt like the entire movie was driven by the characters themselves. Um, it's not the story, it's not the plot, it's not even the circumstances, right? It, it's the characters that drive this movie. Uh, and so I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, I mean, it just, it was not a movie that, I, after watching where I was like, well, the runtime doesn't help. And it was not a movie where I was like, I could watch that again. I, that's, that's when I could sit down and watch again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes down to it, I guess my for my taste, I tend to like movies that I feel like I want to watch again. Um, but I do appreciate I appreciate the craft and the craftsmanship that went into the into the movie. So what did you think? So yeah, for me, this movie was just kind of this realistic, dirty, gritty kind of alternation between an adrenaline ride and like a uh, some kind of like depressing drug right like <laughs> there, there were these highs and lows and it was all over the place and it was a really pretty accurate time capsule of that time period you know the mm-hmm. the mid 90s where you know everything was like, like you know the, the war on drugs and it was everything felt dirtier and uh, just a little grimier than it does today um, I thought that, uh, you know, the, the, the character juxtaposition between Al Pacino's, you know, detective and De Niro's bank robbery and, and how they're clashing and how they're going together, it was, uh, it was masterful, you know, um, mm-hmm. as, as the movie started, you know, it pulls you in with, with this opening high scene and, and that's interesting, but then right after that, it just it just dives right it gets yeah. slow and it starts to just creep and like you're saying it's got a long run time and so uh yeah like there's a grind there um <laughs> but that grind really pays off because you know that the tension builds slow and slower and slower and then it's just bang everything explodes at once and there's all these things going on and it's just it's just a wild ride from start to finish um I I liked the movie. It's not my favorite movie. Um, sure. But I, like, I agree with what you're saying and that it's really well done. Um, I, I love that it's a time capsule, which that's kind of a weakness of mine. Uh, movies that are firmly dated, in, in, especially in a past that I can remember, um, I have a weakness for those because it takes me back to that time in my mind. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I thought the music was great. The sound was amazing. Um, really, really top-notch movie. A lot of work, a lot of thought went into this, and it really shows. Um, 
Yep. And I, I think I do want to watch it again, honestly. I I want to process it some more. Yeah. Um, I tell you, I don't want to watch it again as just the movie, but I do think that it would be interesting, and this is something we I didn't get to do. I don't know if you did, but I wanted to watch the commentary on the definitive edition oh, Blu-ray. Yeah, I would love to watch that. I have not seen that, but I'd love yeah. to. And I think we got a lot of the information from the internet and just doing cursory research. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would have been cool to to watch the entire movie with Michael Mann kind of giving comments and little tidbits. That would have been great. And we should say before we go any further that we are not a spoiler-free podcast. We're going to spoil the heck out of these movies that we do. So mm-hmm. just be prepared going in that... We're generally going to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it. Um, so, does it movie? And by definition, I guess it just means, do you, did you like the movie? And I think you said yes. But Yes, I, I very much liked the movie. Um, not my favorite, um, probably not even like, you know, in one of my top like 20 or so movies lists, but... Um, I enjoyed it. It was really well done. The work that went into it really paid off, and it, it shows. It's uh, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a defining moment in crime dramas. I think uh, it again, it's a crafts, a master's work in in a movie. Now, but for my taste, I. I just, it's not a movie I want to see again, and with my memory, I probably will forget a lot of this movie over time. <laughs> not because it wasn't good, but just because my memory sucks. Well, there's a lot going on, you know? Like, this is a movie you've really got to pay attention to and, and focus in on, or you're going to miss plot points. There's yes. just tons of stuff going on. Uh, you are correct, and we're actually going to get into that. So the next... The next part of our podcast is actually what I would consider the more interesting part, which is where we break down the movie um, and just talk about some granular topics, anything from acting performances to specific scenes to uh, the uh, little facts that made up the movie, production issues, uh, anything and everything, just things that we think are interesting. Um and just talk about them. And I think that that's going to be a a really fun thing to do, and hopefully y'all will get uh, a lot of value out of it. Um, So yeah, the the most interesting thing to me is just how the movie went from nothing to something. And we've already talked about Michael Mann being uh, just a great director, someone who pays a lot of attention to detail. Um, And so one of the things that he did is he had this idea for this crime drama movie uh, in the, I think the mid to late seventies. And he just kept trying to get it off the ground. And he really, he, you know, he wrote the script, did a lot of research then, but he didn't actually pitch the movie until 1989. And, it was turned down uh, as a movie, but it got picked up as a TV show. And they made a pilot, and that uh, I think that TV series was called L.A. Takedown. That's right, L.A. Takedown. <laughs> and, yeah, and it ultimately failed, obviously. Uh, and so what happened after that is, uh, I think in the mid ninety, well... Yes, the mid-90s. Heat was released. Uh, The working title for the movie was called Crime Story. And, um... (coughs) Excuse me. It was a a screenplay that Michael had had come up with, and he was pitching it. uh, But he originally had no intention to direct the film. Uh, I noticed that. Uh, He he had somebody else in line to direct it, and he was just going to write out for it. And uh, I heard when he sat down to discuss this with the director, the potential director that, uh, that guy basically told him crazy and called him crazy and said, look, you have to direct this, which, uh, thankfully he agreed to and wound up actually directing and pushing out the movie. Yeah. And I mean, we'll, 
we'll probably have a lot of stories like this, but just the the roller coaster ride that this movie went through from idea to actual product is just crazy to me. Like, how many things do we have that we've thought about creating and just kept at doing for what? 19 years, 20 years until it was finally done. That's, that's dedication. Yeah. I feel like this is definitely, uh, Michael Mann's kind of, uh, de facto piece, right? Like this is his stamp on the world. He's got other movies that are out there and some of them are pretty great, but yeah, I feel like this is the one he wants to be remembered for. This is the one he put, he really just put his soul into, you know? And, and I think that really reflects in the movie itself. Yeah. No, I think I agree with you. However, it seems like he is one that he cannot create a thing without doing just extensive research for it. Mm-hmm. Um, as an example, um, there was a movie called The Jericho Mile. He basically went to Folsom Prison and became a prisoner for an extended period of time. Um he went on smuggling runs with Colin Farrell in the Miami Vice remake or the movie. And even on Heat, he sp- they spent seven months researching about gunplay, about uh, casing banks, about driving, getaways, about everything. And it just seems like that's something that he has to do when he makes a thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, you don't have to look far when you're researching this movie to find out that, you know, some of the scenes, in, in particular, the the most famous scene being this shootout near the end of the, uh, I guess, the next to the last act of the film, mm-hmm. um, is actually shown in, uh, in, in like, cop schools. And uh, I, I think I read once that the Marines actually used a scene from Val Kilmer as kind of a textbook example of uh, how to reload a weapon when uh, being flanked from two sides by enemies. Um, how, how crazy they, is that? I know, right? Like, uh, <laughs> apparently SWAT teams, military personnel, they look at that scene in particular, and they look at Heat as a whole, and they say, look, this is the one movie that got it right. Like, this is what it's like, which is really pretty amazing to see. Yeah. So, the movie comes out. It clocks in at 170 minutes, which is almost three hours. Yeah. So be prepared to carve out a chunk of time to watch this film. Uh, it was critically acclaimed. It made $187.4 million off of a approximately $60 million budget, which is, hey, fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's no Avengers, but, I mean, what movie was back then? <laughs> Um, if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, you've got an 86% critic score, a 94% audience score with over 200,000 user reviews. That, so, that's, that's pretty amazing. 200,000 people and that's the average score. Yeah. And normally I don't look at Rotten Tomatoes scores cause I don't believe in them. But w- one thing you can look at is the difference between the critic score and the audience score. If they're generally the same, to me, that means... There's no question that this is a, a quality film. Mm-hmm. Now, and I, I don't know. I mean, people may hate this movie, but I think a lot of people are going to be like us where they appreciate the quality and the craft of the movie, but it's just not a movie that you can digest once a week or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Just because of its runtime and the subject matter. So, Yeah, it's exhausting. It, it really is. Like I liked the movie. But uh, at the end of that ride, I was worn out. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the more entertaining characters in the movie. Um, Good old Wayne Grow, (laughs) who is this sadistic, evil character that shows up at the very beginning of the film Mm -hmm. as a hired gunman or, I guess, criminal for Robert De Niro's character to basically um, take on this uh, heist of this armored truck that was holding a bunch of money and bonds and and whatnot. 
So, yeah, to, to really start to get into the character of Wayne Grove, we're going to have to go a little bit into the story here. Um, you know, he's one of the first characters that we see. Well, he's yeah, I guess he's in there pretty early. Yeah. But, um, you know, we as the movie opens up, we're prepping for a heist, right? One of the first things we see is uh, Neil, which is Robert De Niro's character, uh, kind of nonchalantly just walking into a hospital um, wearing like a doctor's setup, you know. And it, there's no context at this point. You don't know what's going on unless you've seen trailers and everything. So uh, I actually thought that De Niro was going to wind up being the uh, the cop at this point, And he was like going undercover right. to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he, he goes into the hospital, um, just kind of walks right in there like he owns the place, and then gets in an ambulance and just drives off. So we, we find out that he's actually there. He's our uh, he's our criminal, and he's stealing an ambulance. Now we don't know why, but he's he just drives off in one. So um, you know we move forward, and, and it soon becomes apparent that he's working on this heist. That um, we don't know what the heist is, but you can tell that they're preparing preparing for things, right? There's there's almost like a little montage set up where we see you know we see Val Kilmer. Uh, we see De Niro, we see Wayne Grove, we, we see a couple of people uh, going about doing things. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, we're introduced to Wayne Grove in this context, right? He, he's sitting outside waiting on a, a guy to pull up in what I think was a tow truck. Yep. And uh, he, he's ordering a coffee and uh, he, he goes to get the coffee. He's just like, hey, you know, I'll take a coffee. And the tow truck pulls up, and then he just leaves, right? Like, he, <laughs> I don't know if he paid for the coffee. I even think he might have paid for the coffee, but he doesn't get his coffee. Like, he, he orders it, and then he just takes off, and he gets in the truck, and he starts just jabbering nonstop, and the, the guy that's driving the truck looks over at him, and he's just like, man, you got to shut up. Like, you're talking way too much, and I'm not down for that. Yes, that would be Tom Sizemore's character. Yes, and uh, so there's a tension just like that, right? Uh, you can tell that this Wayne Grove character is going to be kind of a loose cannon because he he went and he ordered this coffee and then he didn't wait. He didn't get it. Like he just he ordered it and he left it. And that was some foreshadowing, I think, for kind of the way that this character plays out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are flighted enough to go off and leave their coffee. But the way he looks the fact that you know that he's there for some criminal activity and then add on to that the fact that he goes up, orders some coffee, and then just walks off. Yeah. It's, it establishes his, his uh, character and his de- demeanor of being sort of insane. Right. Maybe not sort of insane, actually insane. <laughs> <clears throat> and so we, we fast forward a little bit, right? And, and now we're doing this this heist, and this is all within like the first what thirty minutes to an hour of the film. Yeah. And we see that they're actually putting out a, like a robbery on an armored truck, uh, kind of a Wells Fargo type setup, and it, it's well orchestrated, and it gives us a good view into this this criminal crew as far as how they operate right they have everything timed they're communicated everything's down to just a perfect t um they you know they, they wind up crashing into this car knocking it over um they they blow open the the doors they go in and they start taking it and they've got timed responses for the for the police so they know exactly how long they've got before they can go and we wind up with uh, this wayne Grove character He's got the three people who were in the truck uh, held at gunpoint, um, keeping them quiet. And he's yelling commands at them. And when he's doing this, um, they can't hear him, right? Because they've been in a truck, there was explosions, and and they're literally bleeding out of their ears. So all they're hearing is just ringing. Um, Wayne Grove's getting increasingly agitated because these characters aren't responding to him when he yells at them. Uh, We have one Mm -hmm. of the other group of the the criminals is saying look they can't hear you man they're look at them they're bleeding out of their ears and uh Wayne Grove just can't take it and he winds up just assassinating one shooting him right in the head uh when he drops the other characters uh are not pleased because this is not according to plan you know uh, this was supposed to be a robbery 
Now it's become a murder and a robbery, right? Yeah. It, it, it just went up a whole notch. Um, they they don't really think about it much though because they're professionals, right? They they know how yeah, to handle this. Move on. They know what they're doing and they're just rolling with it. And so they immediately order the other two to be killed because once one's killed, murders the murders on the menu, right? It's it's done. So you might as well kill the other ones to get rid of all the witnesses. And so that's yeah. what they do. And then they take off, and that is the uh, the downfall of Wangro in this. Um, I think it's pretty apparent that he's a new member of this crew. Uh, he hasn't run yeah. much with them, if at all, and this might be his first job ever with them. And he goes and he he just kills a guy right off the bat like that for no reason, and so boom, bad blood just like that. Yeah, and you could I mean. We can talk all day about different scenarios and stuff. I mean, if if Wayne Grow hadn't done that, if he'd done what he was supposed to do, the whole rest of the film could have been completely different. Mm-hmm. Because there's not as... I mean, murder adds a little bit more to a crime, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- being a thief, a robbery, a clean robbery, everyone lives. I mean, yes, they're going to go after the guy, but... I mean, yep. De Niro could have gotten away, you know. And yeah, Wayne Grow is ultimately the reason that um, everything comes to the head that it does, just like you're saying, right? Right. Um, you know, we've got from the from the very start of the movie, we've got a big contrast that's built up between uh, Robert De Niro's character Neil and Wayne Grow. Uh, by that, you know, Wayne Grow is kind of this crazy. I do what I want. You know, don't tell me what to do. I'm I'm a free man kind of guy with De Niro's everything's by the book. You know, we're, we're detail oriented. Everything's planned. We follow the plan. We, uh, he had his rule where, you know, you don't stay, have nothing that you can't walk away from in 30 seconds, you know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those two personalities just aren't going to mix. And, and so, you know, right after that, they wind up going to a diner. They, they pull off their heist. They're able to escape. Uh, they go to a diner and it becomes clear that the team's not going to handle this uh, as uh, Neil just starts beating the tar out of Wayne Grow right <laughs> in the middle of a diner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was surprising to me, right? Because it's already established that he's this kind of, you know, get in, get out, get it done kind of guy. And he's right in the middle of public and he is just slamming this guy's head against the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really lets you know how mad he had to have been to do that. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, and, and so one thing leads to another, and they essentially take Wayne Grow outside with the uh, intention of killing him when uh, they notice there's a cop coming around the corner. And so they have to stop. And so they watch the cop. And in that second where they're watching the cop to wait for it to pass, Wayne Grow escapes. And so, boom, there we go, right? Wayne Grow, yeah. he feels betrayed by the team the team's mad at him and uh they want him out of the picture and there's our very first kind of story hook right that, that pops up yep everything was great wangro came in screwed things up and now he's out and he's gonna want revenge and they're gonna want him dead and here we go right and so we'll get back to wangro later because he show he pops up as you said from time to time but then we've got this juxtaposition of Robert De Niro's character, Neil McCauley, and Al Pacino's character, uh, Hannah. And so Pacino is the law. He's a detective. And obviously, as we talked about, De Niro is the, the criminal. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the first movie in both of their careers where they had on-screen time together. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both in The Godfather Part Two, but because De Niro was playing a young uh, Vito Corleone or whatever, I forget his name, um, and Pacino was obviously, uh, as far as timeline goes, he was in the, in the future. They, they didn't share any screen time. Um They've they've since starred in two movies together, uh, Righteous Kill and the new movie, The Irishman, which is on Netflix. Um, but this is the very first time. And so I think that that was definitely one of the reasons this movie probably got a lot of buzz 
was these two huge actors getting to act against each other. And so <clears throat> we got Pacino. He's investigating this armored car robbery. And we've got De Niro, who's now on the run. And what did you think of their uh, chemistry? Well, I mean, I think it's the reason you watch the movie, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, they're they're so well developed and they're they're so they're such a great match for each other you know um there's man it's something (laughs) yeah so all right vincent let's start with vincent vincent's the detective right he's a uh investigator for the lapd and he he just lives to take down these big crime rings right the the exact man that neil mccauley is right he that's what he lives for yes he's had a history of this taking down big name guys Mm -hmm. and uh, as we follow him around we start to learn more about him and who he is and we he starts to reveal himself as just a wrecking ball man like he's he's out of control he's impulsive he he never stops he's just relentless you know um and in a lot of cases He's just a he's a jerk, man. Like we see a couple <laughs> of scenes uh, where he goes in and he works his contacts to try to get information about who might be doing these robberies, and we see him just abusing these people that he's got authority over. You know, in the classic kind of I'm gonna go to the bar because this guy owes me a favor kind of thing and exploiting people to get mm-hmm. what he needs, um, and he doesn't hesitate to do it. Like he doesn't care. It, it it becomes real obvious that he could care less about these people. All he wants is to catch the guy, right? And I thought that was interesting because when you compare that to Neil, um, it, it's a it's a complete 360, right? Like or, or 180. I don't know how you'd say that, but like Neil, he's the opposite of that, right? He he's organized, he's calm, he's meticulous. He he focuses on people and he focuses on relationships. He he seems caring, you know. Um, there, there's a part in the in some one of the gun scenes where Val Kilmer's character gets shot. He he runs into gunfire to help his friend get him up and get him out of there. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, he he cares about people uh, even more than himself in some cases, and we we never see that out of Vincent, which I thought was interesting because you would expect to see the crazy, chaotic, out of control, never stops guy to be the criminal, in my opinion. And not so much in the cop, and I would expect the cop to be kind of the calm, orderly guy who is, you know, meticulously investigating all of the details of the crime, and that's not really how it plays out. Um, yeah, I think and, that was an interesting decision because, you know, De Niro, as much as he does care about other people and wants a relationship, he knows that his chances of having that are slim to none. Mm-hmm. For the very, you know. For because of what he does for a living, and because of that same phrase he keeps saying about if you've got anything you can't leave in 30 seconds, you know, that's a problem. And so then we've got Pacino, who he has these relationships, but they're all faltering and failing because his one singular goal is to be devoted to his job. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting that man kind of flipped the script on those roles and it made sense. I mean, no, yeah. nothing that nothing that was happening, I was like, oh, that's not realistic uh, because people do have messy relationships and just because you're a law-abiding cop doesn't mean you're going to have just wonderful life at home. And just because you're a criminal doesn't mean you're all crazy and <laughs> uh, just very rash. So I thought that right. was really good. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It, because despite the fact that they're they're really opposite in their personalities, like they're the same at the same time, you know? Um, right. Neither one of them are going to stop. Neither one of them know how to live normal lives, and they don't really want to live normal lives, you know? They uh, they can't stop. They can't change what they are, and they know it. They're both really good at what they do, and um, seeing the two as they, they kind of taunt each other and, and work um, – you know, in their individual, I guess, professions, um, and, and how 
those two lives are fated to intersect at some point. Like it's a, it's a lot of the tension in this film, honestly, is just waiting for that to happen. And mm-hmm. uh, man, when it does, you get one of the best scenes in in the movie. You know. Yes, the you're referring to the the coffee shop scene. Absolutely. <clears throat> Before we get there, let's. One of the things I meant to mention in, during the creation of Heat, um, it's actually based on some real-life stuff. Uh, there was a man named Chuck Adamson who was uh, a detective in Chicago, I believe, and he was tracking a criminal. Um, I don't know that his real name was Neil McCauley. But... It was, yeah. Okay, yeah. And... Uh, he actually asked Neil to have coffee with him, and they sat down and they talked. And this was a detective and a criminal, and that was kind of the the genesis of the whole movie. You know, that was I think Man heard that story and he found it really interesting. Yeah, and, that was uh, the inspiration behind the entire film, Man. Yeah. So I, that is fascinating to me that something. Like, that's not even something you would think would be real-life stuff. Like, a criminal and a detective having a cup of coffee together without one of them firing on the other or the criminal being arrested. Uh, so that that's very fascinating. And so that actual... I don't think it's verbatim, but that, that scene is in the movie. And that's the coffee shop scene uh, between De Niro and Pacino. Probably the second famous scene, most famous scene in this entire film. Yeah. So do you want to set up the the that scene? Okay. So yeah, this this is the scene where we finally see Pacino and De Niro on the screen at the same time, right? This is uh, the whole movie is building up to this point, and this point is probably what almost two hours into the film, hour and a half at least. Yeah, it's it, not it's, early. <laughs> It's near the end because, you know, you have to meet the characters. You see them chasing each other. You see the LAPD doing their stakeouts, and you see the the group of criminals, you know, doing their stakeouts at the same time. Uh, they're, they're watching each other. They're each trying to stay one step ahead of the other one. Um, you know, the, the criminals are aware that the cops are after them, but there's this one more job that they've got to do, you know, and they, they can't let it go. And so they're pushing to try to get this one job done. The... The cops are like, we're going to get him. All we got to do is get him to have one more, and we're all over him. And and so there's a really great scene just before the coffee scene where um, the L.A. The Los Angeles Police Department are shadowing the group. And uh, you see Pacino and, and the cops, and they're in a trailer, and they're monitoring this uh, construction site where, uh, where uh, De Niro and his group of, uh, I guess, criminals are all standing and talking. And they're like, they're gonna, they're about to set up a score, you know. We got to watch them, and so they're, they get it all set up, and um, they they monitor some sound and they get some information, and then De Niro and his team leaves. Well, as soon as they leaves, the, they leave. The cops roll out into that scene and they start investigating and looking and trying to figure out everything that the guys were talking about. And uh, at that point, uh, Pacino has a realization and he starts just kind of laughing, and that's when he really starts to realize that he's he's. They're chasing some really, really good criminals, right? He's been and, had. That's right. <laughs> and in fact, <laughs> as soon as he realizes that, uh, you see De Niro up on top of a crane with a camera taking his picture. Uh, and, and at that point, right, we know that uh, Vincent, the the cop, knows who Neil is, and Neil knows who Vincent is, and so they know each other now. Mm-hmm. And uh, right after that, it, it, Vincent. We get this scene, and it's it's just a great scene where Vincent's driving. It's the middle of the night. He's by himself in his car. He's driving, and you've got this real mellow kind of trancy rock that's just these guitars just grinding, and it is oh, it, it fits the scene so perfect. It just drowns out the rest of the sound in the scene. You don't hear anything but this just this guitar just hammering, and. Uh, uh, you see you see his lights come on, and you're hearing this sound, and you're like, oh, he's pulling someone over. Well, right after his lights come on, we see De Niro sliding a gun to a kind of a hidden location near him so he could reach it. And you're like, holy crap, he's pulling over Neil, right? Vincent is pulling Neil over, and mm-hmm. he is, and he just is just as 
brazen as can be, gets out of his car, walks right up to him, and he's like, how you doing? You want to go get some coffee? I'm buying. <laughs> and you're just like, what? And, you know, Neil's yeah. like, yeah, let's go. And then there we go. We're in the coffee scene. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about Pacino and some of his best scenes here in a moment. We'll briefly mention those, but yeah, the coffee scene is basically them sitting in an actual coffee shop that's in L.A., I believe, and uh, basically each other saying, you know, I'm not going to stop. Well, I'm not going to stop. And next time I see you, I'm not going to hesitate to to fire. Well, I'm not going to hesitate either. And, you know, obviously we can't do it justice, but it's one of the most gripping scenes. Almost, it reminded me a little bit of a Tarantino scene. Yeah. With all the, just dialogue, just sitting and talking. I guarantee you he's a fan of this movie. Yes. And, but the reason it's so tense and the reason it's so powerful is we've had, you know, however many minutes, several minutes, like, an hour maybe, an hour or more of establishing those characters and figuring out how they operate and the kind of the the chase. Um, and so that makes it, that scene all the more powerful. <clears throat> yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's a super tense scene because you know at any moment, right, one of them could just blow up and then we're in the middle of a gunfight, right? But that's not yes. how it plays out. It, it's... It's just a conversation, right, between these two rivals. And and what's interesting is that in this conversation, the two start to realize that they're actually really similar, you know? Mm -hmm. They they don't have normal lives. They don't want normal lives. They can't stop what they're doing. They're doing what they have to do. And and you see this mutual respect start to build up between the two men. Yeah. And, And you get this sense that if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, Neil wanted to do all of these these high end robberies and Vincent was a cop who didn't want to do anything but get the bad guy. Right. That these two guys could really get along and, and be great friends, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think they realize that. that. Like, there's a connection that they make during this conversation where they both realize it. But at the end of the day, they know who they are, you know. Neil knows he's a criminal. Vincent knows he's a cop. And Vincent's like, listen, you know, if you're endangering innocence and, you know, you're getting away, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. And, you know, Neil's the same way. He's like, listen, if I'm cornered and I've got no choice, I'm shooting my way out. I'm not going back to jail. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the resolution is, you know, we respect each other. We're both good at what we do. We're masters at what we do. And we're both not stopping. So, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah. And, and that's, then we see what happens. <laughs> yes. And that's why that, that scene was so great is that not once did they say the words, you know, we could be friends or I respect you or anything. It was all described through facial expressions, tone, and just words. Well, not words, not explicit words. And that's the, that's the mark of great acting, great writing, and just awesome direction. So yeah. they that's why this movie is so well-regarded, for sure. Yeah, definitely one of the reasons, right? The, yeah. It, it's why you want to watch the movie. If you're listening to this and you've not seen this movie, there's two reasons you want to watch it, and this is the first reason, right? It's watching these two really just top-list actors at the height of their careers playing this these roles that are just completely, like, fate-bound but are opposite to each other, you know? Yeah. So before we get to the the shootout scene, <clears throat> we should mention some of Pacino's uh, wonderful, outrageous <laughs> acting moments. He has them, that's for sure. So I think, not all of them maybe, but some of those were improvised. And <laughs> well, I know the I, I know that the famous ass line was improvised. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. If you've ever watched an Al Pacino movie, most of the time he ends up just going crazy. Scarface, uh, I think there were some scenes in The Godfather where he gets a little elevated. Uh, 
and heat of course and so this you know he has several scenes in this movie where he's just chewing scenery like <laughs> I don't I, he's definitely he's got a talent like no other and going from just you know calm as as a pond you know, on a still day to just exploding <laughs> you know um, <laughs> he Nicholas Cage maybe gets in that yeah. area but yeah. Pacino does it like nobody else does yeah it, it it's a sight to see and I don't know that it actually I I'm still debating as to whether it helps the movie or hinders it because whenever that those scenes come up I laugh mm-hmm. and I don't know if they're meant to be funny but because he's just one moment calm cool collected the next moment he's a insane person yelling so and... to that right I, I did a I read something that kind of explains that uh, in the original script for this film uh, Vincent the Al Pacino's character he was mm-hmm. written in to have a cocaine addiction and that gotcha. got removed from the script and so mm-hmm. I think from the from the initial imagining of that character he was supposed to be this guy who you know he uses the cocaine to keep him going but it makes him a little bit uh, well what he is right this kind of cannonball that never stops and is half insane you know yeah and I think that that would have played into it had they not taken that part out of the script prior to making the film. Yeah. And, you know, it. I'm sure if the, the cocaine addiction had been in there, there would have been other moments that kind of describe that and show that it actually affects him negatively in other ways. Um, but just just the the only thing, you know, he obviously doesn't have a great life or a great relationship with his family, but for him, the only thing that really stood out was his change in tone just randomly, you know, when he's, and so I, I found that weird. I thought it was funny, but again, I don't know if it was supposed to be funny. I think it was. I don't see how anyone could look at that and think that it wasn't right. <laughs> unless he was trying to play insane to get a mental edge up on the guy he was interrogating when he was giving that, you know, that whole yeah. scene. Now, to be fair, you know, he had a couple of those scenes. He had one when he was talking to uh, Hank Azaria, this character, and then he had another one when he was uh, talking to a, I think it was like a CI or an informant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I was on the other end of his uh, barrage of words... I would be intimidated, and I yeah. wouldn't really know what to say. So, from that standpoint, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I do think he, um, in, in lieu of the connection to the cocaine addiction, which is not in the film, so we can't essentially assume that. I think you're right, right? I think he's using it as a tool for interrogation to to throw people off their guard and and kind of, you know, be like, "Whoa, you know, this guy's a little nuts." Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so we go through this almost three-hour movie, and towards the end, there is arguably the most famous scene in the movie, which is mm-hmm. a huge shootout between uh, Neil McCauley's gang and uh, the police. Yeah, and, and man, what a scene. Yeah, and so just... Just like every part of the other, just like the rest of the movie, with regards to the criminals, they know what they're doing. They've presumably practiced this or at least thought it out. They are moving forward in almost a military fashion, uh, taking cover, making sure the other person is moving up before and, and giving them cover before they move, and just almost like a dance yeah it's definitely evident that they've rehearsed and we're ready for this you know um the 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 heist scene prior to this they it looks like they're getting away with it everything's going great they're sneaking out to the cars with these sacks of money it's looking great and if not for just a hunch right they would have 
but mm-hmm. Vincent had this hunch, and he's running to the bank to check on it, and they actually don't know it's being robbed. They're going there because they're, they're like, we got to case this place now because it's going to be. Mm-hmm. They catch him in the act. Um, Val Kilmer's character, who I believe was an ex-KGB, um, the, the character was, he sees the cops with guns and instantly raises his gun and starts firing, and then off right. we go, you know. And it's like you're saying, they're they're calling out cover fire to move, they're advancing in lines, they're splitting. Like, it, it's evident that they're pros and that this was something that they had prepared for in case it happened. Indeed. Yeah, and like we mentioned before, that weirdly enough, that, that scene or some of those scenes have been used to demonstrate to actual Marines, uh, reloading techniques, firing techniques. It's, that's crazy to me that a, a, a fictional movie, well, based on some real events, um, is used to actually train real military personnel. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the, the research, you know, that Michael Mann put into this film. Um, they spent, you know, months and months training, and this scene itself was actually, it took, I think, a couple of months to film the scene. They were filming on weekends on this road um, for like two months, like every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think, they were filming for this scene. Mm. Uh, something I wanted to mention about it that, that I think really stands out from other, uh, I guess, gunplay scenes or, or you know, firefights is the sound. Um the guns mm-hmm. sound like guns. Like there's just these deafening explosions and booms that just drown everything else out. All you hear are these just raging explosions. Just yeah. And uh, I got to looking into that. And the reason that is is because that's not edited sound. They put microphones and we're using blanks. And what we're hearing are the actual guns firing the blanks. Wow. Yeah, that adds a lot to that whole scene. For sure. Um, so, is there? Do you want to talk about their De Niro's relationship? I feel like you maybe all right didn't, yeah. had a problem with it, maybe or had so, took a little issue with it. Yeah, I don't know that I want to say I had a problem with it, but there's a scene. It's not too far into the film, right? It, it's after the whole Wayne Grow gets away incident. Um where De Niro is just out having a drink and this lady is like asking him a question like you know just making small talk asking him you know what he does I think he says he worked with metals or something like that yeah and um he snaps at her and then he instantly kind of feels bad and he's like I'm sorry you know I I didn't because she recognized him from a place where he was casing I think and um, or it was a diner or somewhere I don't remember but she recognized him and when he found out that you know oh this is why she's talking to me he felt bad they start talking and then we get this what seemed like unusually long sequence where we see De Niro kind of pursuing this this girl who's Edie was her name uh, she was who was she played by she was played by Amy Brenneman mm-hmm. um where they're they're kind of courting each other, you know. They're they're going out on dates. They're going out. They're talking. They're they're building a relationship with each other. And you know, I thought the idea of him wanting a relationship at first was going to be kind of indicative of him wanting out of the the life that he was in. You know, he he had his millions of dollars. He wanted to do this one job, and then he wanted to leave. And and he says that from the beginning. And he he mostly sticks to that plan, but. It's like the movie takes this strange detour, and at first it's really uncomfortable because at this point we know that Neil's the bad guy, right? We know he's the criminal, and we're like, what is he going to do to this poor innocent lady, you know? (laughs) He lies to her. He doesn't let her know what he really does, and um, that's not the case, though. It seems that he's genuinely interested in her romantically and that he wants a relationship with her, and it was just... I don't know, it was odd. It was it was an odd scene because, you know, it's also right smack in the middle of Pacino with his failed relationship, uh, Kilmer, uh, who played Chris, and his failed relationship with his wife. And then, you know, in the middle of all this, Neil is trying to get a relationship with this lady uh, through, mm-hmm. you know, lying. And it, I don't know, it just didn't feel... It felt strange. 
Yeah, I, I, I believe, and I, I think this was the intention, was to further build his character and show that he was in desperate need of someone. Um, but again, he can't ever have that because of what he does. And as we see at the end, you know, he, he's, she's in love with him, he's in love with her, and then she finds out what he actually does, and she's now distraught, her whole demeanor changes, she just wants to get away, but at the same time you see that she can't, because she does actually have feelings for him, even though she now knows what he does. So then she decides to stay with him, and he says that, you know, hey, we're gonna go, we're gonna leave town and <laughs> of course Wayne Grove pops back up and you know Neil has to decide are we going to go to the airport or am I going to go to this place to find Wayne Grove and murder him because he screwed everything up um, and of course Neil being himself he he decides to make the detour and ends up murdering Wayne Grove uh, exiting the building, and then that's when Hannah shows up. Uh, and then, you know, Macaulay has to decide, am I going to endanger this woman, uh, or am I going to flee? And he decides to flee. And uh, she's... An interesting point to that scene right there is, you know, he's he's silking there at the car. Uh, Pacino's running towards the car because he his detective senses are tingling, you know. <laughs> and um, I didn't think to time this, but I wanted to know how long exactly uh, Neil looked at that car before he turned and walked away. Because mm-hmm. I want to know if it was 30 seconds, right? Like, what, what, I think it would be uh, so great if that scene was 32 seconds long, you know? Yeah. And, like, he waited just a little bit too long. And, and you know, because right after that scene... Uh, Vincent sees him, and that starts the chase, which leads us to the final showdown of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, he, if he, you know, that one, two seconds where he violated or rethought his own, you know, kind of creed that he lived by, led to that. I think that'd be really great. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that that is the test of his mantra. Basically, is can I, I have this thing, can I escape it? Uh, if I can't, then I'm, you know, I'm basically betraying my own beliefs. And it would it would be interesting to go back and see if that was how long that was that 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 moment was. Um, why don't we talk about one more thing and then we can maybe wrap it up unless you've got something else. But uh, the very last bit of the movie um, is right after what we just talked about. Uh, there's a foot chase and Hannah and Macaulay end up in this, um, uh, would you call it a runway? Basically they're, they're, yeah, they're the area at the airport. Yeah. Like the, the grassy area at a, at a airport, LA yes. airport. several containers uh, around or possibly electrical yeah, like generators. generators, lights, things like that. <clears throat> yeah. And so there's a, there's some play with the light and darkness. You know, there's a moment where you can see everything and then everything's pitch black. And so they're hiding from each other, kind of a cat and mouse thing. They're trying to get a one up on each other to basically take, take them down. And, uh, there's a moment where, uh, you believe that De Niro's character has the drop on Vincent, uh, Pacino's character. And, Pacino sees uh, what he assumes is a shadow out of the corner of his eye. He turns, and he gets the drop on De Niro and basically fires two or three times and takes the life of De Niro. Um, I think we both thought that that was an interesting scene. Uh, So, yeah, the more I thought about that scene, the more I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't know how believable it is, you know? Yes. Um, I, I love the, the, the setting choice for that showdown. You know, we're on this airport where you've got 
flights landing and taking off. And so occasionally uh, you're deaf, right? You can't hear anything but plane engines. Um, on top of that, there are these huge floodlights that the planes have on them themselves, plus the lights of the runway, which act to just blind you at the same time, you know? And so uh, you've got these two characters. They're the only two left now, you know? Pacino's almost gotten away with... Or, sorry, De Niro, Neil, has almost gotten away with it. Pacino's right behind him. And, um, you know, they're they're both so close to their goal. You know, all Neil has to do is get to that plane and get away from Vincent. And all Vincent has to do is not let him get on that plane. Mm-hmm. And so the whole movie, all the people, all the relationships, everything, it comes down to just these two men and what they want and what they do. And they're, they're on an essentially equal field, right? They each have a handgun. And they're each in this unfamiliar space where there's lights and sound, so they don't have hearing advantages or sight advantages, except for one that I could tell. And that was when De Niro gets shot at the end. He he steps out with a plane behind him, which in theory would blind Vincent mm-hmm. and illuminate him so that it was an easy shot for Neil. Yep. But um, instead of that happening... Uh, Vincent has this shadow fall across his face just in a split second, and the camera just zooms right into his eyes, and you hear that, and then we see uh, a couple more shots as Niels drops. And that was the only part of that scene that I was like, ah, I don't know, (laughs) right? Like, you know, lights in your eyes, you can't hear anything, and you just happen to see this shadow that falls across, like... I mean, yeah. maybe, but we're getting close to, like, superhero powers there, you know? Yeah, it just wasn't... It wasn't believable, and, you know, probably the least believable thing in the entire film, and he had so much area to play with, he could have done it a completely different way in a more believable manner, I think, and it would have just worked, you know? Mm-hmm. But I agree, that whole scene, the setting was great. I think that was an interesting choice because they were near the airport anyway. He was going to leave, and so that just made sense for them to run out that direction. And the light and the darkness and the sound uh, being obscured from the the planes taking off and landing, I just thought that was that was great. Yeah, but it's cool. It's almost surreal, you know. Like it's like the whole thing just like everything just stops and we just zoom in on these two characters as they face off finally Mm -hmm. definitely an epic showdown uh do you have anything else you want to talk about so just one or two things right sure one thing that i think is interesting is you know we we haven't gone through the whole plot obviously there's a lot more that we haven't really discussed um but what, something I thought that was interesting is that typically this is when you would expect the, the movie to end, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, well, maybe, is this when the movie ended? <laughs> it's been too long since I've seen it now. I'm I'm thinking about the plot in, where the um, Chris, uh, Val Kilmer's character, right? Mm-hmm. He he's being set up. Like, like the cops get a hold of his wife and are planning on using her against him. Yeah, this was before the end. Okay, so this was before that. All right, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. It's been too many days since I've seen this. That's embarrassing. But, (laughs) um, yeah, like, uh, that scene I thought was really neat. Because as it turns out, this Chris guy, Val Kilmer's character, is the only one of the whole crew that actually gets away with it. Yeah. Yep, that's true. And uh, it's another moment where... No words are spoken, but between two characters, you can see the relationship and the trust when, you know, she's being, she's being used as a pawn to lure him in. And, uh, she gives the hand wave, you know, mm-hmm. and he knows that means, nope, you can't come up here. Otherwise it's going to spell disaster. And so he knows to get in his car, drive away. Yeah, that was. A, I thought that was an amazing scene. I, I loved that whole part. Yeah. Um, and, and man, there's lots of other things, but we, uh, you know, we can't go into everything. But like, there's the whole Van Zant thing. Um, 
which I thought was very interesting. There's uh, Natalie Portman is in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Her character and how she's affected by everything is interesting. There's just man, there's a lot in this movie to process, and there's a lot to like. Um, yeah, so, yeah. It is a huge movie with many subplots that I feel like do eventually come around to connect and establish and build, kind of like Legos, uh, uh, the movie. So there's nothing that there's nothing I would say that kind of goes off into left field everything's meant to build on the existing characters and establish the story Mm -hmm. but it is full like there's a lot going on and speaking of before we end i mean just talking about the cast you know we've mentioned pacino de niro kilmer john voight tom sizemore uh ashley judd don't forget our boy Henry Rollins? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, he's not our boy, but he's cool too. I was thinking Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. Yeah. yeah he was one of the gang members. Uh, Jeremy Piven, Hank Azaria, mm-hmm. Natalie Portman, William Fitchner, who was Van Zant, And, uh, I mean, yeah, dude, the, that's the crazy. cast was stacked. Yeah, the, yeah. Like, everybody was in this film. Yeah. So, that... I think is going to wrap it up. Uh, that was Heat. Um, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and maybe leave us a review. And you can head, head over to cinemamenpodcast.com. I'm only going to spell this once. C-I-N-E-M-A-M-E-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Um, you can check out all our episodes. Uh, in the future, <laughs> this is our first right, episode. Yeah, right now we have one. So, <laughs> so check this, out this episode. episode, and then listen to it again. Um, <laughs> uh, we plan some neat features in the future. Uh, Matt and I are both uh, computer programmers, so we plan to add some neat features, like uh, all the movies we watched. Maybe put a little review. Uh, we're gonna open it up to movie suggestions. Um, but until we do that, if you want to just send us an email, you can send it at uh, feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com. Um, if we get letters, obviously we're going to read them on the podcast. That would be amazing. Um, and uh, I think that's going to do it. Thanks for listening. Yeah, just as a, just as a side note, uh, be kind to us. This is, uh, this is our first time we've done this. You know, uh, We're learning. We're going to grow a lot as we're moving forward with it. And so, uh, you know, hope, give us feedback. We'd, we'd love some uh, some good criticism. You know, how can we be better, not just you suck. So, uh, yeah, we'd love I'll to take, hear something. I'll take you suck if someone's listening. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> you know, fair enough. We'll take anything at this point. We're just starting. But, um, you know, ultimately, we want this to be as good as it can be. And we know that we're amateurs, and we know that we have a long way to go. So, Thank you for listening, especially if you've made it this far. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and we hope we can continue to start delivering these normally and uh, get more and more entertaining as we grow. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.